Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Peter Kozlowski, otherwise known as Dr. Koz. He has a great book out called Unfunk with just a C, your gut. And we hear so much about gut health and the importance of it, not only for our overall physical health, but our emotional sense of well-being. And Dr. Cause was on a traditional path and because of some other doctors at the hospital sort of taking these functional medicine classes, in addition to what they were doing, he started to check it out and really decided, hey, it's important. I want to get into the preventative side of things. And we talk all about the importance of maybe first drilling down on some things like heavy metal testing or SIBO and how do you try to replenish your gut and what does that look like and it's all really confusing I mean there's something like 22 million genes in your gut and you know three to five pounds of bacteria growing in our large intestines so it's a complex thing but it's something worth just continuing to drill down on and he really breaks it down in a very simple and usable way and I learned a lot and I I hope you enjoy the conversation. Dr. Cause, as you like to be called, I think. To make life easier, it's cause. Maybe you could just share a little bit about your journey, how you were kind of really heading in one direction in this notion of medicine and practice, and, and then maybe why you decided to move into the, I wouldn't say only preventative because you're still solving problems, but this idea of maybe mixing it a little more. Yeah, Absolutely. So my parents are both doctors. I grew up wanting to be a doctor. I got into college and I got really into the social life and the partying and the going out. I went to Arizona State for undergrad and it was mostly because of the palm trees. My parents are immigrants from Poland, so they didn't really know much about any kind of college. I taught them English pretty much and growing up. So we went to different colleges and we saw Palm Walk at ASU and we were like, okay, this is where I want to be. Chemistry class was Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.40 in the morning. I had a hard time making it on the Friday morning class because Thursday was the big night. 
most of my friends were in business school and business school was closed on Fridays. So I ended up switching to a business degree in economics. So I had a long way to go from the age of 18. <laughs> they never really pressured me when I went to school and I switched majors. They were still like, okay, you're still got to figure it out. During my senior year of college, my best friend got bizarrely sick. Like she came back from spring break with a rash and headaches and fatigue, didn't know what was going on with her. She got diagnosed with lupus a couple of weeks later and then passed away two months after we graduated and, or excuse me, a week after we graduated. It was like a couple months after spring break. She passed away a week after graduation. And during her illness, I felt hopeless and I've always liked to help people. And I, couldn't offer any help. I remember having my mom mail me some like medical books and reading about it and just, but couldn't do anything. So that's kind of where I was like, okay, I I think I want to be a doctor. And at that point I already had an economics degree, took the MCATs. I did not get into any traditional schools. Like I applied to Harvard and Stanford and all the places I thought I should go, but with my resume, I didn't get in at the back of this. There's this us news puts out this book about the top medical schools And in the back of it is Caribbean medical schools. And there's like four of them that are recommended. I applied to them. I chose the school in St. Martin called American University of the Caribbean. I was not sure about this. I didn't want to go. I was like, is this even real? Like, is this legit? And it was my dad again that was like, you get to live in the Caribbean for two years and be a doctor. Like, are you nuts? Mm -hmm. So... I went through med school, got into residency as a family practice resident. We played beach volleyball every Friday, like on schedule for the two years that I lived there. I think that helped. But the attrition rate was 33%. The first day of med school there, they said, look to your left and look to your right. One of you won't be here by the end. And a lot of people struggled, not just from the school part, but, but also living on the island is a different vibe than living and growing up in Chicago. So I got into residency. Everything was going amazing. You know, the Caribbean, there's a lot of alcohol. Yes. When I was there, beer was cheaper than water. At some Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Was it a valve, a release? So it started, and and I learned this through going to treatment and going through now like 10 years of therapy. It started when I was a kid, and the immigrant thing is just feeling really insecure. I was outgoing, like I was like the most outgoing person, social person, friendly, but inside, like I was so insecure in my own body and my own skin. And the thing I, I discovered it very early on was alcohol completely took that away. And that was like first year of high school. But I was like, wow, like I, this is everything I've ever wanted. And to, so I left residency and I went to treatment and treatment was nothing about alcohol. It was all about like, as they say, peeling back the layers of the onion. And they told me I had trauma and I was like, I don't have trauma. Like, yeah, my parents, you know, we struggled or whatever, but I don't have trauma, but I created trauma for myself by just not feeling good enough. And alcohol solved that. They say you stop maturing when you start, when you start drinking. And so I, at the age of life, I think I was 28, went into treatment and I couldn't even identify like an emotion or a feeling. I was like your prototypical, like kind of asshole doctor that was like, had it all figured out. I'm going to look down on you. I've, I've done my research. I've read the books. I know better than you. And I just thought I was like God's gift to earth. And that came crashing down when you end up in rehab. So that 
changed my life though, and what made me open to functional medicine. And the majority of doctors that are in functional medicine, medical doctors like me have an illness. And usually it's a physical illness like lupus or Hashimoto's or something. For me, it was a mental illness and treatment was acupuncture and exercise and meditation and yoga and all these things I had heard of that I thought were kind of just made up. And I saw them working in my own life. And when I got back to residency, I was back in the hospital working and you're trained by different attending doctors every day, every week, every two weeks. And we had one doctor, his name's Dr. Batra, that every time a patient was admitted to the hospital, he would put them on a multivitamin and vitamin D. And we were the residents, so we had to do the scut work and write those orders. He was the only doctor in the hospital that did that. So naturally, we made fun of him. We thought it was a joke. We were like, why are you wasting our time? Like, we could be writing opiates and, or, you know, blood pressure pills or whatever. And so I asked him, it was after treatment. I was like, what do you, you know, why are you weird? What are you doing? And so he's like, I'm, I'm studying this thing called functional medicine. And I was like, what is that? He took me to the website. He's like, it's all about the root cause. Cool. Like that, that sounds interesting. And as a resident, they require you to go to a CME. And so I went to the IFM, AFMCP as an intern in residency. And just within the first hour, I knew I could never look at medicine the same. It just made sense from a biology, from a biochemistry, from an anatomy, from a physiology lab. It was all science-based, which is what I was taught. And I was just like, I can't argue with this. And I, I just couldn't look at medicine the same. And it, if you would have told me back then that I'd end up in functional medicine at any point, I would have said you were nuts. But that was 10 years ago now. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. From a young age, I was the one like if you needed to call someone or get something done or speak to someone. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of an adult from like a very, very young age. I used to go home to an empty house at like, I think the age of like nine, because my parents were both working. When you're entering, are you confident or are you sort of thinking, oh, this is going to be like hippie doctor medicine? Like what's the, how is that received in your peers? I think they thought I was nuts when I came home and I was like this thing called functional medicine. They've always been so supportive. You know, I don't, we trust you that if you think this is the way to go, then we'll support you however we can. And brought my mom to some of the functional medicine conferences that I teach at or that She's always been interested in it and open to it. My mom's a pediatrician. And so I think that they thought I was a little crazy, but they supported me with like my colleagues and friends. Like I've lost gradually now pretty much all my friends from medical school because everybody else is a traditional doctor and same with residency. And it's, it's just those relationships that were really strong have kind of lost because we just have a totally different approach towards medicine. And yeah, in the beginning, I, I had a really hard time, like just coming to terms with, I'm going to do this alternative route, going to med school in the Caribbean. Is this real? Is this a legitimate thing? But at that first conference, I was the youngest one there. And there was all these doctors there that were like cardiologists and surgeons and ophthalmologists. You guys are like 30 years into your career. Why are you at this conference? And they were like, this is the future of medicine. Like, this is where medicine is going. If you're starting your career now, you need to do this. And then I met people like Dr. Mark Hyman and Susan Blum. And luckily, my residency program was super supportive. And I got to do away rotation. So I would leave my residency program and still get credit. But I worked at Dr. Hyman's clinic. I worked at Dr. Blum's clinic. I worked at Dr. Chopra's clinic in Carlsbad. 
where they were applying functional medicine with Ayurveda. When I was at these away rotations, I mean, I just had these all these yellow legal pads and I would just follow everybody and just take notes. And it was the receptionist, it was the nutritionist, it was the life coach, the health coach, the doctors, the nurses. I was just learning from everybody. And I finished residency and I started practicing on my own. I was in between a fellowship at the University of Michigan in integrative medicine, and I went off on my own. That was an experience because even if you're not in functional medicine, you know, you work the first few years under someone. And I was just kind of figuring out as I went, I had the knowledge. It was just learning to apply it. It was actually my patients that helped me a lot to learn to apply it because I was working with people that were attracted to me were people that were already in the holistic world, right? They had already already been doing all these things that most of which was still new to me. I knew family practice and I knew functional medicine. I didn't know anything about homeopathy or chiropractic or acupuncture, like supplements. And, you know, it was a lot of book study, a lot of learning the lab work that we use and applying it and seeing how treatments would affect people. And, you know, over time, it's just, we got more and more successful and and it's been an amazing journey. I just trusted the people I was learning from from the Institute of Functional Medicine and over and over and over, all they said was start with the gut, start with the gut. If you're not sure, start with the gut. And so they just said that over and over. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what I should do. And it's like Hippocrates said it 3000 years ago, right? All disease begins in the gut. It's amazing that he knew that. And it's even more amazing that like We've done everything we can to damage our guts since he said that. Like we've gone so far in the other direction when he figured this out so long ago. And, and now you've got these rates of autism and all these other chronic disorders just skyrocketing year after year. It was the the training where they told me like gut health, gut health, gut health. Functional medicine patients are very educated. So they knew that they were coming for their gut. So, you know, that that helped because they were like, I'm here for my figure out my gut. And I'm like, good. Somehow we as a culture can't actually believe that some of these things are really connected to something like our gut that we can fix. I mean, I think it's just like our traditional medical model that is very much based on the pharmaceutical industry. Right now, there's not any pharmaceutical drugs that treat your microbiome. But I saw, it was already almost like 10 years ago. I saw, I remember seeing an article that like Merck and Visor, whatever, these huge companies were working on drugs for your microbiome. The day that they come out with drugs for your microbiome is the day your microbiome will go mainstream. But I don't think that's going to end well. You can heal your gut naturally. Uh, You don't need medications. In my opinion, in my experience, like medicine is taught basically by the drug industry. You're taught what's the system, you know, your heart, your cardiac system, you're taught what can go wrong. And then you're taught what medications fix that. And at the end of the day, it always goes back to drugs and there's not drugs that you need for your gut. And it's incredibly sad that people are left to believe that I was born deficient in antidepressants or I was born deficient in blood pressure meds. And it's not that way. I think even with like the pandemic recently, like the people most at risk are people with metabolic disorders and and chronic diseases. So I hope that it's more of a wake up call to people to like, Hey, you know, I I need to get at some of this underlying stuff. Yeah. We'll stay focused on the gut, even though we could get into so many other topics, you sort of say, Hey, I'm really going to take a look at their heavy metal load. Have you ever had someone come in and they, they didn't have a lot of heavy metals? 
Occasionally. I, I test a lot of people for heavy metals and I've found a couple patients over the years that have never gone through a chelation or a detox and their levels are relatively low. I've never seen anybody's heavy metal testing come back zero, which is the way it should be, right? And I've just never seen it. I don't think it's possible in this environment. So what does chel- chelation protocol look like? That sometimes feels daunting. Absolutely. It's not. Luckily, it's pretty easy. It's very, very effective. I'm pretty sure it's 100% effective, at least in my practice. The main medication that I use, so this is a place where I do use a medicine. It's called DMSA. It basically, what it does is pull the toxins that are stored in your body out. And the most basic thing for people to understand about toxins is that toxins are fat soluble. So when we breed them in, when we drink them, when we eat them, they get stored in our tissues. And so unless our toxic load goes way down and and our body will wake up and be like, okay, I got to get rid of this stuff. Those things will just accumulate in your tissues. What detox is, is a two-phase process, which makes them water soluble. And then you pee, poop, and sweat them out. That's how you get rid of toxins. Um, So somebody with an elevated lead level. So I I start with pre and post chelation testing. Pre-test is to measure active exposure because the first step in detox is always to stop exposure. The second most common thing I work with besides metals is mold. That's a big one where if you've got a moldy house, like you've got to get out. Metals, you can assess your water, your food, what's going on in your house. Wait, when you say food, do you mean the soil, the stuff you're buying at your market? It could be, unfortunately, anything. Like The scariest thing I ever saw or learned so far, I think is cesium and thallium levels. Yeah. And I had a boy, he was eight, that had OCD behaviors that came in, his parents brought him in to for an underlying cause. And I was like, well, let's look at metals. This child had been on basically like an elimination diet or an AIP diet his whole life, had never eaten anything processed or anything. And during the visit, I was like, I'm, if you read my book, you see I'm pretty chill. And I'm like, what if you're like at a birthday party and you want a cheeseburger or cake? He's like, I would ask for broccoli. So he ate a lot of vegetables and fruit. We did his heavy metal testing and his cesium and thallium levels came back through the roof. This is bizarre. I don't know why this is going on. I talked with a doctor at the lab. Cesium and thallium are used in the oil industry and fracking. They create radioactive water. That water is left over. Guess who's buying that water is West Coast farms that are experiencing droughts. And a farm can be labeled organic, even if they're buying oil water, right? So this kid, I like, think had eaten the most perfect diet you'd ever seen or the healthiest diet was loaded with cesium and thallium. My experience is that we have to do our best. I mean, the more you learn about environmental medicine, you can go nuts. Like you, you end up like in the mountains in Montana, like I did, I guess. (laughs) Um, So you do the heavy metal testing. You say it's a two parts. So, yeah. So do you take the DMSA, which is the medication that pulls the toxins out? What's it like? I didn't really experience anything with it, like besides like kind of like sulfurish smelling urine, but like I didn't have any real like side effects. And most of my patients don't, especially for that test day. And it's based on your weight and you collect your urine for six hours after you take the medicine because the medicine is pulling what's stored out and then we're collecting it. At the end, you shake up the jug and you fill up a little vial and send it to the lab. And that's a pre and post chelation test. So if the post test 
is higher than the pretest, then you've got toxins stored, right? And the biggest problem with this testing is I can never tell people when it got there, right? Like to me, heavy metal testing would be like the most preventative medicine testing we can do. Like instead of like when you go to your family practice doctor and get a CMP and a CBC, like the most useless testing, you would get a heavy metal test and then this stuff wouldn't build up. Or if it was starting to build up, we would catch it. Teenagers, I, I've looked at heavy metals in three-year-old autistic yeah. children. And then how long does the process of chelation take? It depends on how high the levels are. And I take an educated guess based on my experience of helping a lot of people detox. Like, hey, I think this is going to take you four months or seven months. Or like my worst ever was a mechanic at O'Hare. His lead and mercury levels were in the hundreds, which I'd never seen before. And him, I was like, I honestly think this is going to take years to get rid of. That was from the airplane exhaust, right? I mean, yeah. I would imagine. I, I assume so. Yeah. yeah. So the biggest problem with DMSA is that it doesn't just pull metals out. It also pulls your vitamins and minerals out. So the way that I help people detox is month number one is just supporting your liver and your nutrients. So we're supporting phase one and phase two of detox. We're supplementing vitamins and minerals to get you built up. And there's different practitioners use different protocols. The way that I've done it is four days on, 10 days off, four days of DMSA, 10 days you're replenishing. So we're doubling the amount of time that you're replenishing. So you're taking DMSA for four days. We're chelating, detoxing you. Then we replenish you and you just follow that cycle. So that's where chelation is, is actually kind of easy because there's not like a specific diet you need to follow, except like don't be eating like tuna rolls at the sushi restaurant every day. And it's just remembering to take the right things on the right days. And otherwise, like your lifestyle doesn't really have to change when it comes to metals. If somebody's got mold, infrared sauna is one of the best things you could do. So that's something that I'm always recommending is a sauna. Sauna doesn't affect metals the way it does mold. Metals are just deeper dug in there. And that, that's why we use the medication to get them out. Based on somebody's results, I'll be like, okay, I think this is going to be four months. I think this is going to be a year. But we typically check in every six months because everybody detoxes differently. And in less than 5% of patients, I've actually seen their levels go up after six months. And that's because we've been pulling, you know, they had so much stored that this one test day didn't work. By the way, are there symptoms that show up for heavy metal versus a mold? Is there anything or just completely can be various for different people? The whole thought process behind functional medicine is we are looking for inflammation. We're looking for what there's too much of in your body and not enough of and the gut as your gateway to disease into your body. I could take a hundred patients with heavy metals or SIBO. The symptoms overlap. The symptoms are different. The symptoms change over time. So in, in general, high blood pressure is something that I would start with metals first. I've, I've had a patient recently that was on three blood pressure meds is now on zero after a year of chelation, high blood pressure, neurologic stuff. So it like dementia prevention. If you're, if you've got a family history of dementia, I would definitely get on detoxing heavy metals, chronic pain, chronic joint issues. In general, toxins affect three main areas in your body and it's your hormones. So men, low testosterone, women, estrogen dominance, infertility, your immune system, autoimmune disease, and then neurologic like MS and dementia and things like autism. So if you fall under those categories, 
or you just want preventative. That That's the one thing, like, I don't really need to hear anything in your history to be like, yeah, if you haven't tested for heavy metals, I think it's a good idea. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Unfunk your gut in your book. The notion of small intestine bacteria, your SIBO. I think that that is something that a lot of people don't realize is probably more common than uh, we realize and, and kind of all the offshoot symptoms of something like that. So, because what do we have? Like, um, I don't know, what'd you say? Like three to five pounds of bacterial matter in our large intestines, supposedly, yeah. Yeah. but there are times where some of that can end up in the small intestines and cause all kinds of issues. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a whole chapter on SIBO because it's the most common thing that I treat. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about it. So I shared my experience in treating with it. I think the reason there's so much misinformation is that every SIBO patient is so different. And so the majority of SIBO patients have gut symptoms, right? So that's going to be like you've been labeled as IBS or you've got abdominal pain or bloating or diarrhea or constipation. I've learned over the years, and again, from my patients, there's SIBO patients that have no gut symptoms. If you come to me and you have eczema, I'm going to recommend looking at SIBO and you don't have any gut symptoms, joint issues, brain fog. So the gut as your gateway into your body, that's why that stuff can happen. Basically, like people have heard of that term leaky gut. Your gut's most important job is to decide what comes into your body and what stays out. The inside of your gut tube, so it's a long tube that starts with the mouth, ends with the anus. There's openings on both ends. Something that has been in your gut hasn't necessarily been in your body. And it's the gut's job to decide, hey, this is good, come in. Hey, this is bad, let's poop this out. And due to all the stuff, the inflammation, we are damaging that barrier. And that those junctions that should keep things out are wide open. And then all this stuff in our environment is flooding through. But going back to SIBO, your gut bacteria are alive. That's probably the most important thing to understanding SIBO. And your gut bacteria need to eat to stay alive. They eat fibers and sugar. So that's one of the reasons why we're killing our microbiomes in Western cultures. We don't eat a lot of fiber. So like us, our gut bacteria die if they don't eat. But when they eat, it's an anaerobic process. So without oxygen and it creates gas. So if you eat a bunch of sauerkraut and you get gassy, that's great if your microbiome's healthy because it's your gut bacteria are eating, right? If you have SIBO, the gut bacteria, like you said, are now living in your small intestine. Small intestine is, should be lined with microvilli. That is where 90% of digestion and absorption happen. So the small intestine should be reserved for just absorbing all those great nutrients into your body. That area should not be covered in bacteria that is eating every time you eat. That's what SIBO is. And like I said, it's easy when people have gut symptoms. Like if you come in and you have gut symptoms and you're like, I have a hard time with garlic or onions or avocados. I don't need to do the testing. I still do because I like people to see it and sometimes I'm wrong. But if you come on with something like that, then it's pretty easy that this is a SIBO case. There's a diet out there that I talk about in my book, the low FODMAP diet. 
it is a diet low in fermentable foods. So it is a diet to starve your gut bacteria. The most important thing about this is it's not a long-term diet. You should not be on a low fat, low FODMAP diet for long-term. It should be done as quickly as possible. And because when you're following that diet, you're starving your large intestine, which you need to feed over the long-term. The funniest thing I've, I've heard this quite a few times now is I've met patients that have gone to their GI doctors and the GI doctors tried their acid blockers and the colonoscopy and endoscopy. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Try this low FODMAP diet. I have no clue why it works, but it's helped some people. And I've heard this story like multiple times. And I'm like, yeah, because you have SIBO. That's why it's working. So these are foods that wouldn't necessarily ferment. Is that right? Exactly. What are foods that don't ferment that are... I mean, like protein, like meat. So like my theory on a carnivore diet is really kind of like booming now. I think a lot of the carnivore people are actually SIBO patients that are just not feeding their microbiome anymore. It's almost like they intuitively know or something. Yeah, exactly. But if somebody's listening and they have like garlic, it feels like we should be able to probably consume without a lot of problems. It would maybe be beneficial to go and just see if they have SIBO. Apples, avocados, garlic, onions, mushrooms, soybeans, dairy products, pretty much most fermented foods. If you know you're reacting to those, then I think you should definitely get tested for SIBO. So after working with all these patients and kind of probably, I would imagine, seeing sort of themes showing up, that's why you decided to do Unfunk Your Gut. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a big undertaking. Yeah. It was a little bigger than I, than I knew what I was getting into just like everything else I do, but I I wrote it in seven months, which I think is pretty fast. The editing process took like a year and a half, but it's what I do every day. Right. And then I also included quite a few of my patient success stories. So it, it came out kind of easily. It was just something I always wanted to do. And I tried to focus on the things that are missed in the current gut literature, which is like a good understanding of SIBO, a crucial understanding of how much your brain affects your gut. And because my experience with my patients is the majority of patients come into me and they just want the right diet or they want the right supplements, which is kind of going into the traditional medicine model. Just give me, you know, you're replacing medications with supplements. And I don't like to stop there or just do that. And you said it at the beginning, but you know, functional medicine should be preventative medicine. 99% of people I work with are coming in to reverse autoimmune chronic disease. 1% of the time see preventative medicine and it's so backwards, you know, it should be the other way. But again, that's kind of like we're our society. We kind of react to things as someone in recovery. Like I know how hard it is to change right? You kind of have to keep digging until you're ready. Like you don't want to dig any farther. So you, people come in pretty desperate. They're like, listen, I've been to Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic and like, screw it. I'm going to try functional medicine. It's not like the first option ever. Maybe that's going to change, but when you have them there, what do you see as the the barriers that keep people from really believing that they can make these changes? Because I, I see that a lot where you go, if you just did a little bit kind of consistently for a bit of time, there'd be so much progress. But a lot of times there's resistance or a barrier. As someone that believes that mental, emotional, spiritual health is the most important part of health, I'd say that that's the greatest barrier. My belief is that it starts as trauma for most of us when we're kids. And the definition I really like of trauma is trauma is anything less than nurturing. 
I had to learn that in my own life when they told me I had trauma. I was like, no, I didn't. But trauma could be as simple as like coming home from school and wanting to show off your homework, but your parents are working or busy. Then it's like the signals like, okay, I'm not good enough, right? That shuts down your gut. So your gut is lined with a nervous system called the enteric nervous system, over 200 million neurons, more than your brain. It is connected to your brain by your vagus nerve. The vagus nerve carries signals back and forth from your brain to your gut, your gut to your brain. It runs on the autonomic nervous system, automatic. It happens in your subconscious. You don't think about it. It is either in sympathetic response or parasympathetic response. Sympathetic is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is rest and digest. Uh, Now that I live in Montana, I'm out hiking in the mountains and I see a grizzly bear. Sympathetic nervous system is activated. Blood goes to the brain, to the muscles. I got to get out of there. I'm not going to worry about digesting my breakfast, right? I make it. I survive. I'm sitting by the campfire eating. My body's like, okay, this is a great time to break down my food and absorb the nutrients. People nowadays are living as if they're running from a bear 24-7. We wake up and the first thing we do is check our phone, right? It's not very parasympathetic. I mean, for most of us, it's email, texts, phone calls, breaking news, social media, like it, it just spirals downhill. And then we're watching the news or we're answering emails while we're eating breakfast and food is dropping down into your gut. So your gut's like, all right, we got to digest. But then your vagus nerve is telling your gut like, hey, shut down. This is not the right time. You need to survive. So it's hard, right? I mean, and especially now the pandemic and now, I mean, everybody, you know, we've all gone through different traumas from that alone, but for most of us, it starts when we're kids and that the stuff that I work with like SIBO and heavy metals and mold and dysbiosis and candida, that stuff is easy when your mental, emotional, spiritual health is balanced. That to me doesn't mean like, okay, I don't have stress. I don't have problems. Like we're all going to have problems and stress and it's unpredictable what's going to happen, but it's just that awareness around like, okay, I need to work on this. Like for me, I have to wake up every day and be like, all right, I need to focus on my mental, emotional, spiritual health. I, I need, I have reminders in my phone that pop up that say, let go of control. That's I'm a huge control person and doesn't work in like recovery is being in control. You kind of have to let go. What are you trying to control? This is something that took me a lot of years to get through to understand this, at least then this is my interpretation. I mean, anybody that's successful has to take things in control in their life, right? Like I, I wouldn't have made it to be a doctor and all these things if I wasn't in control. Like, listen, everything I have in my life is because I've been in charge of it. Having written my own book and business and all these, all this stuff, like I had to do it myself. So when you're telling me like, let go of control, I'm like, screw you. Like, I, I can't do that. You guys just want me to become like, lazy and not care. I'm like, I can't do that. It's controlling what I can control. If I've got a lecture coming up and I'm kind of nervous about it, have I edited my PowerPoint? Have I done my research? Do I have my articles to back up what I'm saying? If I've done everything I can, then I have to give it up. Right. But if I've done everything I can and I'm still focusing on it, like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen when I go on Gabby's show. Like, am I going to stutter? Am I going to screw up? That's going to make me nuts. I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to shut down my gut. So to me, it just kind of means like doing everything that you can towards a, a goal. But then once you've done everything you can, then it's time to just let it go. If you have a female that comes in and let's say she's her hormones are out of whack, mm-hmm. would you do the heavy metal testing? I always say like the best thing we can do is stop the progression of things, which I think is a huge win. That's never what people want from me. They want to reverse everything. And that's what we try to do. 
But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's never too late. You're never at an age where it's like, well, now it doesn't matter that what your gut is or what your toxins are. I think that hormone imbalance, like women, we would look at definitely toxins. I've also seen a lot of candida overgrowths um, of the gut. It's a yeast that can overgrow your gut. That's another thing that I find frequently when someone's hormonally imbalanced. Do you have to bite your tongue a lot? Like when people come in your office and maybe you've had them a few times in and they're on protocols, but you actually know what's holding them back is something more personal. How do you navigate? (laughs) So that's why some people love me and maybe there's some out there that don't or patients that don't come back to me because I don't know if it's just my parents, the way they are. I don't really bite my tongue and I warn everybody like at the first visit, I always start the visit with like, what are your goals and expectations from working with me? And then I'll also say like, just to warn you, I'm extremely honest and very blunt. So I think it comes a lot from my mom. She's that way in her pediatric practice. I've had a number of people that have looked at me. So I I go on like a little spiel and they're like, so you're saying I'm crazy? I'm like... That's not what I was going for, but yeah, I guess like, I mean, I personally think we're all nuts. It's either we're just working on it or we're not. So I always also say that I'm like, don't take it personally because I think we're all crazy. When someone comes in to see me, we do 40 pages of intake paperwork. They fill all this out. I review it before the visit, but there's a question on there that says, do you have an excess amount of stress in your life? And it's just a yes or no. If they write no, I know we're in trouble usually. 1% of the time that's actually true. The more they don't think it's an issue, the more it is. Just like something we were talking about earlier, like the more someone comes in convinced that they have heavy metals or SIBO or Candida, frequently it's not that. Like they've found an Instagram doctor or or a, a blog or something that they're like, so the more focused they are, the more like my experience has been like, it usually doesn't even turn out to be that. I feel like I've learned nicer ways. Like I've been like, you know, will you be willing to accept that this is something else other than candida. The words like stress, anxiety, depression, mental, emotional, spiritual health, those words are tough. Like people hear those words, they kind of already have like, I don't have depression, you know, I don't. So it's difficult. Like, I mean, it's just, to me, it's just life. Like we're all dealing with life on different terms and, and different things have happened to us. So not easy. What are you surprised about yourself, the way you maybe are showing up in this relationship that maybe you never had the opportunity to. I feel awkward when I say I love you to my parents. We just, we don't say that. She talks to her parents every day. They say, I love you every time. And we've done the love languages, quizzes. My love language is giving gifts or just doing stuff, cooking or things like that. And she's like, all I want to do is like hug me or kiss me or say, I love you. And I'm like, I'm trying. I think I'm getting better. She's had me run pretty much all of my tests on her. She had a really bad mold issue. Her hotel that she worked at was extremely moldy. The apartment she lived in in Chicago was very moldy. So we've been detoxing her for the last, I guess we're already kind of done, but we we definitely detoxed her. But besides that, I couldn't find anything wrong. She had everything was working in her body. So it was luckily there's not too much doctoring. Chapter one of my book is all about why you should stay off the internet in regards to your health. Yep. And that's something we still work on because she'll get a symptom and she'll go straight to Google. And even though she has me now she'll come home or she'll call and be like, listen, I screwed up. I got onto Google. Like I convinced myself I have polycystic ovaries or cancer or something. Now she catches herself. Okay. Like that was not the right move. And kind of like, you know, getting back into like what is in our control and like what, what is real and what is just being made up from something you're reading. Yeah. The nothing like self-diagnosing to make your day go the wrong way. 
So people can still get appointments with you telecommunications way. And how do you manage that? You do that through your office in Chicago? Yeah. A funny story that I like is I have an email in February of 2020. It was our first meeting we had been introduced. And can we meet on Zoom? Because I'm traveling in India right now. And my response was, I don't know what Zoom is, but I'll figure it out. And so, I mean, I had a policy in my practice. I I would have people driving from all over the Midwest to come see me because I always wanted to meet in person. What I've learned during the pandemic is that our outcomes are just as good. The care can be just as effective. And I get to live in the mountains, which is good for my mental health and still help people. You must have some interesting people holding the fort down for you. How do you do that? My assistant, Jasmine, she's kind of like a third mom to me. She calls herself my mama bear. She takes care of me. She's been with me for four years and is just amazing. She started just like as receptionist, but now she's a life coach too. And is become an expert in diets. And even the diet that we introduced in my book, we call it the cause plan, which is an elimination diet, which is also low FODMAP. That's her. She created that. So just two days ago, she's like, I had three new patients call me today and all three of them called me crying and they're already in tears before they call. And she's just like that source that let people know that there's hope and and she's so willing to answer questions. Huge shout out to you because you were a huge inspiration to her and she wouldn't be where she is now if it wasn't for you. And so if she wasn't where I was, I wouldn't be where I am. So thank you. (laughs) We're all participating. Yeah. So people can buy Unfunk Your Gut and ultimately... If you said, hey, I wrote this because I wanted people to walk away or take away with tools, what is that? I think our greatest job as physicians is to teach, is to educate. And so whenever I did an initial visit, it's all education, the first visit, right? And all of that is in my book now. I think more than anything, I wanted to just offer hope. The whole reason I ended up getting into medicine was like lupus because my friend Michelle got lupus, right? And died. And now I've been able to help like countless people put lupus into remission. And it's just a gift. It's like we're taught in our traditional environment that we're just like all going to get sick. We're all going to be on meds. We don't know why autism is booming or we don't know why the rates of diabetes have gone up a hundred percent in the last 20 years. There are underlying causes and it doesn't matter. Like your microbiome starts during a vaginal delivery right now, one out of every three people are C-section. So you get this bad gut to start with. You don't get breastfed. So you don't get pro probiotics. You end up in a moldy house for the first 10 years. This stuff seems like bad, but all of this is reversible. So it doesn't matter what age you're at, when it happened, how bad you've treated your gut for 30 years. We can turn your gut around in a few months if you stick to it. So there's, there's always hope, I guess, is what I'd say more than anything. Do you do like a basic blood panel on people and just get a whole snapshot on their Uh, overall health? You know, I will do the CMP and CBC that I said were useless, which they most are full thyroid panels, TSH, free T4, free T3, thyroid antibodies. Men will look at free and total testosterone, PSA, advanced lipid panels. So like the, the basic lipid panel that they just assume the way they sold billions and trillions of dollars of statins is like, if your cholesterol is a little elevated, you need a statin. I can't tell you how many people I've tested that have high cholesterol on your basic panel. And then we do their advanced panel that looks at their particle size, their particle number. It's not in an inflammatory pattern. I've had a lot of people that had a normal cholesterol, but their breakdown, their advanced panel looks bad. So I'll treat them. That's something that we definitely do. I don't use statins unless somebody like is 
through the roof. We use natural things and, and we get 40, 50% decreases just through natural supplements. So I do do a lot of your traditional blood testing because I do work with hormones quite a bit. Yeah. So still use that. It is confusing. And then let's say everybody gets it kind of lined up and they're, you know, overall, do you test for metals like once a year after that? Like, let's say you kind of get it in check. Do you check every six months? What do you think is the best way? If there's no active exposure, so if your pretest came back negative, I think you can wait five years, if right. not longer, unless there's something that changes in your environment. Those metals are have a very long half-life. It takes them a while to build up. And so if you get a clean bill of health with your metals, I tell people to forget about it. So what about probiotics, prebiotics? All of that gets a bit dancy and confusing. And we know that if you don't have SIBO, fermented food on the regular incorporated in a regular part of your diet is quite good. Do you have something that you really like as a probiotic? And do you sort of say, okay, morning, empty stomach, like when, what do you like? Even though I'm, I'm known for gut health, I'm actually not very pro probiotics because of how much SIBO I work with. A couple of reasons why is like, I feel like the, the studies vary of, is there actually evidence that what you're taking sticks in your gut, right? And then there's been studies that show that like, you could be on a probiotic for 30 years. Once you've stopped it for two weeks, it's like you never took it. And then the biggest thing is, you know, regular medicine is obsessed with finding, even with the microbiome, they're like, this bacteria equals diabetes. This bacteria equals this. The best thing we know about the microbiome is the more diverse it is, the healthier it is. When you take a probiotic, they're pretty much all just lactobacillus and bifidobacterium species. And it's the same thing over and over and over. So if someone is like, no, I want to take a probiotic at a minimum, like we'll change it every month. Every time you run out, switch the brand, switch the company, switch the type and like, you know, try to get some diversity in there. And because of that, I'm actually more pro prebiotic. So like inulin or ribonogalactan, which are powders or capsules that are the food for your bacteria. If you don't have SIBO, that's probably what I would choose to supplement. On an average day, you're eating pre and probiotic foods. You don't take it. But then if you're going on a trip and you travel or there's whatever, your diet sucks, then take your probiotic, right? Use it as needed. That's great. So can you just remind people all the places that they can find you? And if someone goes, Hey, I'd really be interested in exploring that, just how they can get a hold of you. The book is Unfunk Your Gut. Again, maybe you can direct everybody to where you are. Unfunk with a C. So for functional medicine. And at my practice, we had a saying that said we we put the funk in functional medicine. So that, that's where unfunk came from. Speaking to my assistant, Jasmine, our phone number is listed on my website. So the website's the best way. You can email us doc-cause.com, doc-coz.com. And then social media, Instagram, doc underscore cause. And then Facebook, I, I think it's just doc cause, or if you just search my name, Peter Kozlowski, MD, it'll show up. But for people that want to really work with us or get help or have questions, then just through my email or through my website, emailing us is a great way. And I'll put everything in the show notes as well. And Thank you. Just to wrap it up, let's say somebody goes, hey, I, I want to go see someone in person. Do we know of a website that sort of says, hey, these are the functional medicine doctors in your state or area? IFM.org. And you can, in the top of the page, you can click search a practitioner and you type in your zip code and you can put 25 miles, 100 miles, 200 miles, whatever. But my advice is, is that there's an option on there to click for a certified practitioner. 
So just like I passed my family medicine board exams, functional medicine has board exams. And so you can get listed on the website if you've just been to one conference. No offense to anybody, but you probably have no clue what's going on in functional medicine if you're not certified. That would be my advice is focusing on doctors that are certified. And you can search through that website. You know, and you could do some research and be like, hey, you know, I'm really interested in working with SIBO and ask, like, do you have experience with it? Because right. it's definitely a huge learning curve coming from like traditional medicine to learning yeah. how to do this. Just want to wrap up because I don't want to miss this opportunity, Dr. Cause. You mentioned about ewg.org. And I thought that that was a really important tool for people. Environmental Working Group, a nonprofit that basically studies how toxic our environment is. And they, if people have heard of the Dirty Dozen, the Clean 15, the Dirty Dozen is the, the fruits and vegetables that are the highest in toxins. The Clean 15 are the cleanest. That changes every year. They update it every year. But my favorite thing is you can go on their website and type in the makeup you're using, the household cleaning products you're using, the food you're eating, and see what is toxic is it. They'll give you a rating of one to 10. I just want to remind people, because sometimes, again, they get overwhelmed, so they quit before they start. Do you ever talk to the doctor that was prescribing vitamin D and such? I ran into him the last annual international conference for functional medicine. There's one a year. This last one was on Zoom, but the one before that, uh, yeah, we ran into each other and it, it was pretty cool. I definitely thanked him because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sitting here. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind-the-scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.